0: Amen. What a powerful truth. Uh, he is holy, and I can only imagine the day we will stand before His. Every language will praise Him, and I can't imagine what that's going to be like, but I think we just get truth there. If you have a Bible this morning, and I hope that you do, open to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and uh, we are starting a brand new series this morning uh, entitled, What is Worship? What is Worship? What is worship? And I am genuinely excited about this because I believe how we worship God affects how we live for Him. How we worship God affects how we live for Him. As you're turning to John chapter 4, we're going to go there in just a moment, but I want to kind of ask a couple questions to get our minds kind of down this track. As we've already worshipped through music and through the giving of of an offering, through specials that were sung or, or played for us, rather, Man, it's just amazing to be in the house of God this morning. It is such a great, refreshing time to be gathered together as the body of Christ. But I want to ask you some questions, and you don't need to answer out loud, but I want you to start thinking through the answers for yourself. Not someone else, not what they may answer to these questions, but what you would answer these questions with. So the first one is, when you enter into a time of worship, what fills your mind? So I want us to think through these this morning. What fills your mind when you enter into a time of worship? Where's your focus when you're in worship? Why do you come to worship this morning? Why do you gather with other people on a Sunday morning when you could be sleeping in? And trust me, this morning was one of those mornings where I wish I could have slept in a little bit more. Just, uh, we had a blessed time, went over to someone's house last night, just had a great time of fellowship, and just enjoyed some, some great time there, and But stayed a little later than we probably should have, and uh, got to bed last night, late last night, and woke up this morning, and you know it's rough when the boys are just like, Josiah was under his blanket sideways in his bed, and just um, opened his curtains, he's going, uh, ah, that's a rough morning right there, i tell you what, when the seven-year-old's like, get out of my room Now. And then it said the same thing, and it's so funny, he goes, I'm just, it's so cold out from under this blanket. And I'm like, buddy, I feel you, man, I feel you, but you got to do it. So why even come? I mean, let's be honest, I mean, in our culture today, church is not what it used to be as far as, it was a cultural thing many years ago. You go back to the 50s and 60s, and it was just normal for everyone in your neighborhood to go to church. Now, maybe it was a church you didn't agree with or your family wouldn't have agreed with, but it was still, it was just part of our culture to go to church. And so now that it's culturally kind of not popular in some areas to go to church, although let me say this, some statistics, be careful. A few years ago, some people released some numbers saying that the modern church or the church in modern America was dying, that it was dying. Did you hear that? The church is dying. Christ said the gates of hell can't prevail against it, but it's dying. And a lot of Christians got really panicked and really worried and what are we going to do to rescue this thing called the church? How are we going to rescue the church? Isn't that just the silliest question for humans to ask? How are we going to rescue his church that he died for, that he guaranteed would last? Do you know what they're finding out now is some of those statistics were a little skewed. And actually now they're finding out the church in America is actually growing. And I'm not talking about just popularity and just people that say, oh, I'm a Christian because I'm an American. Or I go to church so that makes me a Christian. No, no, we're talking about people that have said, I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. I believe the truths of the basics of the Christian doctrine. That's growing in our country today. But man, if you're not careful and you listen to that mainstream media, or if all you're getting is social media, maybe be careful because sometimes that stuff is not exactly what we'd call accurate. There's so many times where I've actually seen people, and just be careful when you post something or share something. Just, just recently, I saw someone post a, a tweet by someone that was supposed to be something they said. It took me 45 seconds to do a little internet search to find out it was a fake account. The person never said it. But in the time that it was posted, two people posted angry faces to it, and one person insulted the person on Facebook. Didn't even, they didn't even say it. But nobody stopped to go, Is this really what that person said? So be careful there. But I say all that to say this, man, the church is growing. That was like a mini sermon in a sermon in the introduction. Okay, so like that's a golden one right there. I mean, it's not even, we're not even to the text yet and you're already getting another sermon. So write that down. But no, honestly, it's just so amazing to see how it's growing. So let me ask a question, why do you come here this morning? Like what motivated you to come? Some of you, maybe it was a commitment you had made to the church. You decided you were going to be a part of serving in some way today, so you came. Some of those people are in service right now, they're serving in nursery or junior church. So, why did you come this morning? What motivates you to come to worship? Is it your goal to give or consume in worship? Is it your goal to give or to consume in worship? This morning, I want to begin to walk through this topic of what is worship, but I pray that it is more than a sermon series, but a way the Holy Spirit can revive true worship in your heart, in our hearts this morning. Also, I want to start by saying, while we've been talking about how we can worship Him according to His Word, this series really isn't about us. This series is all about Him. So we're going to talk about us in the series, but really the mindset of this is more about Him and here's why I say that. Go to John chapter 4 and verse 23. Now in the context of this chapter, I encourage you to read it if you've never really read it before. Uh, we read about the Good Samaritan in another passage and in a parable. Here we read of, as some would say, the Bad Samaritan. The Bad Samaritan. And she's going through a conversation with Christ, and one which he engaged her, by the way. I love this story because he's the one that asked her for some water. It didn't start the other way around. So I love that Jesus is so determined to seek and to save that which is lost. He'll even talk to those that culture says not to talk to. He'll engage those that nobody else wants to talk to. And it's in this conversation, this beautiful conversation, that there's some questions and some answers given. And she gets to a place of asking a religious question that was not so many. I've heard pastors say where she was trying to distract Jesus from the point. That is the dumbest thing you could say. She wasn't distracting Jesus from the point. She's trying to get to the point. She's taking him, her religious question. Listen, I've heard this, and you say this. What is the truth? I've said it before. Robbie Zacharias has said, truth is the greatest endeavor anyone can embark on. To discover truth. And so she says, I have a religious question. Who better to ask a religious question of than Jesus, the one you believe to be a prophet? And so she says, hey, is it in this mountain or in Jerusalem we're supposed to worship? You might say, what a silly question. No, this is the foundation of her whole belief system. She has been taught and trained that God's presence is only in this mountain. And while the Jews say, no, God's presence in the temple in Jerusalem. So she's saying, who's right? Are the Jews right or are we right? Where do I worship? What does that tell you about her? What is her desire in asking that question? She wants to know what? The truth on where do I worship, which means she wants to worship. She wants to know God. Man, it's a hungry heart. This woman was not trying to distract Jesus or get him off track or confuse him as the Pharisees would. She was asking in genuine concern, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life worshiping God, I want to make sure I do it the right way. So what's the answer? Look at verse 23. But the hour comes and now is. Praise God. He says, man, the hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship Him. Let's pray. I know Greg prayed already, but let's just pray. I just want to ask that we would just understand at a deeper level what Jesus is saying here, so we can worship Him in the way He asks us to. Father, we thank You for this morning. And we thank You for any time we can gather together to worship You, whether here collectively, corporately, or in our own private devotions. Maybe as a family. It's just individuals getting together. Maybe somebody here meets with other Christian believers during the weekend and takes their lunch break and just prays with them. Father, whatever it is and however it looks, wherever we come to worship you, I pray that you would be the focal point of all that we say and do. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us with your presence, enlighten our minds and open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. May we understand deeper and truer, although we may understand the basic truth of this text, May we understand it in a way that's deeper in actual application of the text. That you may be glorified in all these things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we read, and to me, I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, I hope I'm a true worshiper. I mean, did you ever read this text and he says, the true worshippers? What does that tell us then? There's two kinds of worshippers, true and False. Man, we are so quick to just be like, oh man, those false worshipers. That's actually tricky to say three times fast. Try that to yourself in your own head and see how far you get. Some of you are doing that right now. You were going to do it anyway. So we just take this little break to give you that are like me the moment to entertain that thought. So go ahead and don't feel weird about it or awkward. I think we're all good and done now. Okay, so when we read that, the true worshipers, we just automatically assume that someone else is a false worshiper that we've got it all figured out, that we're the true worshipers Jesus was talking about. It's so obvious. I mean, look at how well we worship. Look at how intelligent we are in the Christian faith and in the Bible. But that's kind of a very arrogant and dangerous place to be when I just start assuming that I am these true worshipers. Now, we may be, and you may be, as we kind of uncover this, you may say, okay, I am a true worshiper. But just because we have that position doesn't mean we always worship from that position. So we have to be careful that because I am a true worshiper that I'm worshiping that way. Not in a false sense. And so we're going to unpack this even more. Because the truth is, if this is what Jesus requires, we need to fully understand what he means and ask ourselves, are we worshiping in spirit and in truth? I mean, Think about what Jesus just said. He said, these are the ones that are true worshipers that worship me in spirit and in truth. And if we just read through there and go, okay, whatever... Are we even understanding what Jesus is saying so that we know for sure that we are the worshipers that Jesus is asking for? If you're taking notes, I'll give you just a quick idea here. In spirit means through or by the Holy Spirit. Through or by the Holy Spirit. Basically, those who have the Spirit of God through salvation are able to worship Him. This is not referring so much to the need of charismatic worship or spiritual gifts. Some have said, well, this is talking about spiritual gifts, implying that as the church, we do have spiritual gifts, but we need those gifts to worship him. We do worship him through those gifts, but we don't need the gift to worship him. That's not necessarily what this text is saying. So I'm going to be clear on that. Another kind of viewpoint on this text is when Jesus said, in spirit, he meant anywhere. That you don't have to go to a physical place to worship like the temple. You can worship him anywhere because it's in spirit. Now, there's some truth to that. There, that it's true that we don't have to come to this place to worship him. But this specific passage and that specific verse gives the implication that it's the Holy Spirit that is being spoken about here. The word here is the same word, pneuma, for breath. And the Holy Spirit is called the breath of God, the pneuma, the, the wind of God. And so here, that's what Jesus is referring to in many people's minds, is he's saying you need the Holy Spirit to be a true worshiper. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Aren't you thankful the Holy Spirit is the kind of the go-between between us and the Father and us in Christ in worship? You know, the Bible says that when you don't even know what to pray, you can just pray silently and in your heart and the Spirit will pray for you. That's what it's talking about there. You're worshiping through the Spirit. I had one College, or, uh, college director down at my, my church in Springfield down there in Missouri. And he said it this way. He said, man, I'm so thankful that it's not so much my ability to sing on key or to sing on notes that God is pleased with. But it's, he said it this way. When I sing praise to him, it's kind of pushed through the lens of the Holy Spirit. And it's amplified in the fullness of what my heart is expressing, in the full, so much more than my words or my ability to sing can produce, it is kind of promoted to a new level through the Holy Spirit. That radically changed the way I look at singing in worship collectively. No joke, because I can't sing very well. I used to sing very quietly in worship because I knew I couldn't sing well. I didn't want someone around me to hear me singing off-key or off-note, and it'd be a distraction to them. Do you know when I found that out, I realized I could care less. I just, I, no, seriously. That's why when Jesus says, or when the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, to us it may sound like a noise, but to him it is only joy. And so you can sing, well, amen. If you can't sing at all, amen. Because it's not your ability to sing the chord or the notes or the key. It's your ability to say, God, I'm just promoting you in praise and worship. And that's the beauty of what it means to worship in spirit. The Holy Spirit of God gives us the very ability to worship. Here he says, in spirit and in truth. In truth here means to obey the revelation given through Christ. To obey the revelation given through Christ. We must receive and obey the truth of Christ. Worshiping him according to his revealed word. What does that mean? I only get the Spirit when I obey the truth, and He is the truth. And when I receive the salvation He offers by understanding what truth is, His Word, the Holy Spirit of God indwells me and fills me, and now in spirit and in truth I'm able to come before Him in worship. Isn't it amazing to realize that you bring nothing to worship, but everything you have in worship is His, His Spirit, His truth. All we have to do is agree and obey it. Just fall in line with it and allow it to be our focal point. True worshipers, Jesus said, will worship the Father not because it is what we want or what makes us happy, but because it is what He seeks. Did you catch that in the verse? It says in verse 23, But the hour comes and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such to worship Him. He desires us to worship in spirit and truth. So we aren't even at the focal point of this whole thing. Isn't that amazing? You want to change the way you worship? Take yourself out of the center and put him in the center. Put his desires at the center. So really, this eliminates the idea of in the modern church, I didn't get a lot out of that service if we worship him in spirit and truth because he says this is what I desire and this is what brings him glory, then the minute I said I don't get something out of this or I didn't get anything out of that, where's the focal point in worship? It's not him, it's me. But really, how ridiculous a statement that is for a follower of Christ to spend time in his presence and leave thinking it was good or bad based on what we got out of it. What an immature and childish thing to think as a follower of Christ. That somehow I gauge worship based on what I got out of it, what I received from it. When all through Scripture, and we're just touching on one verse, but this is all throughout the Word of God, and we're going to unpack this for the next three weeks, that, man, it is all about Him. And so I ask you again, do you come today to give or to receive, to consume? Do you come here with a great desire To pour out yourself to the Lord? To leave everything of yourself out in worship? Or did you just come wanting to be filled? In reality, that's a vital question, and the answer will determine if you actually worship Him today. If you've actually worshiped Him to this point. Or if you're just going to leave saying, well, that was okay today. The message was all right. I mean, He looked good in that suit coat, but other than that, there really wasn't much... Content. I won't tell you a funny story of something that happened at the end of prayer today, this morning with Sandra. I'll leave that to your imagination. But it's, if you want to know, see me after. I'd love to share that with you. Anyway, it's just something that popped in my head, and I realized the Spirit was like, not for now, not for now. This is, it's, it's so vital to think about why do I even come today? I mean, how, isn't it ridiculous that Christians, followers of Christ, will leave a service, will leave time in his presence, having the Spirit of God and the truth before them, and leave going, well, it was okay. How can the presence of God be anything less than amazing, awe-inspiring? How can the presence of God be okay? And I know what you're thinking, well, I'm just going through this, and I'm going through that, and you just don't understand what I'm going through. I have no idea what you're going through, but I promise you this. If you lay it before him in worship, you will leave lifted. The more you worship him because it's what he wants and you glorify him. Man, the Westminster Confession had it right. That the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper went on to say, you know, the best way to glorify God is to enjoy him forever. And you really know how you want to enjoy God? To glorify him. And when we focus on worship in that sense, all of a sudden it's not about how long this song is or is that praise or is that uh, traditional or is that got too much hymn, or too much drums or not enough guitar or too much cymbal. I mean, it just gets ridiculous, doesn't it? Because it's all about, well, I want to leave worship feeling lifted. I want to leave worship feeling encouraged. You want to really leave worship feeling encouraged? And it's beyond music. We'll get to that next week. But you really want to leave lifted? Stop thinking about you. Start thinking about Him. Because He says, do you know why you have to worship in spirit and truth? Not because it's best for you, makes you happy, or makes you what you, or gives you what you want. He says, because I seek it. I desire it. I want to start by asking a question that I hope will really take to a deeper level. What makes us a true worshiper? If you have the Spirit of God and you've responded to His truth and you know Christ, then you are, by definition, a true worshiper. But now, how do we practice that? How do we live that out? How do we stay focused so that we don't get distracted into ritual and obligation? So what makes us a true worshiper? Two two quick thoughts to help us understand how to be true, true worshipers today. First and foremost, we worship in awe. We worship in awe. Our view of God is key. We talk about God as a church. We study what God would do, or we talk about this or that in discussion about God. We have all these opinions or even disagreements about what God has done or is doing. We talk, and we talk, and we talk, and we talk in the church sometimes. We get together in small groups, and we talk about God. We have Bible studies. We talk about God. But isn't it amazing? I don't know if you ever thought about this, that if you stood before him right now, you wouldn't say a word. Man, we talk about God a lot. We come into his presence and we talk about him. We talk at him. Some of us hear from him. But if we were in his presence, we wouldn't say a word before him. We'd fall in awe of him. We'd be stunned by his beauty, by his sacrifice. Did you ever think about the moment you see those holes in his hands for the very first time? Do you ever think about the first time you notice the scar, the hole in his side, and it dawns on you that it's your fault they're there? Man, talk about being in awe of a Savior that did everything for us. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 2 says it this way, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil, but be not rash with thy mouth. And let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Man, what a powerful passage. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. And be more ready to hear than to give a sacrifice of fools. You know what I think that implies there? I just rush into sacrifice, not even thinking about what I'm giving or why I'm giving it or how I'm giving it. Because you know what we believe? We believe a lie. We think it's just fine to give anything. Just give something. I mean, something is better than nothing. Is that really what the Bible teaches? Just give whatever? I mean, because God doesn't really deserve our best. He just whatever's left over he can have. And he'll be happy because I'm giving him something. Do you see how we can worship, rush into to worship this way? Man, we do that with our time with him. We do that with our tithe. I don't have time this week, Lord, so I'll, I'll give you some time next week. When I have some free time, you can have that. Wow, I'm sure he's so overwhelmed that you gave him the leftover time you had. That's what the Bible's saying here. But I love the last part of this verse. Be not rash with thy mouth. And let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. Why? For God is in heaven. God is holy and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. When was the last time you were just in awe before him? Stop spending your prayer time giving him the laundry list of needs and wants that you have, which is fine for a time, but just took some time and worshiped him in awe, in silence. This last Wednesday night in our Uh, Wednesday night adult group, we took some time and just were 30 seconds silent before God, and it was awesome to hear the results. I mean, sometimes it's just good to be in silence before God. We need to realize that when we're in awe before Him, we worship not because He needs our worship, but because He's worthy of our worship. Every song we sing is by the breath He gave us. Every gift came from Him first. We worship because He deserves it, and it brings Him Glory. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said in this topic. Do men fancy that the Lord needs banners and music and incense and fine linen? If he did, if that's really what the Lord, all the Lord required, the stars would emblazon his standard. The wind and the waves become his orchestra. Ten thousand times ten thousand flowers would breathe forth perfume. You know what Spurgeon is saying here? He's saying, listen, if we think it's just about how it looks and how pretty it sounds and how nice it is and how well it presents, ignoring the truth of the heart behind it, then we are missing the point of worship because God doesn't need our voices. God doesn't need our appearance. God doesn't need our instruments. What did Jesus say when they said, silence these from crying out to you? He said, if I silence them, the rocks would cry out. You know what that tells me is that he will receive worship because he's worthy of it. And he doesn't need our worship. He invites us to worship him and he desires it. Why? Because he wants to hear from the cry of our hearts. Paul says it and really agrees with what Spurgeon says in Romans chapter 11 verse 35. Paul says this in Romans eleven thirty-five: Who has first given to him? that it might be paid back to him again. Speaking about the Lord, he says, who has first given something to God that God then paid it back to the individual? The answer is no one. He goes on in verse 36 by saying, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Man, everything you have is from God. Everything we see. What does Colossians say? That nothing was made without being made by him that he holds all things together he is worthy of praise not because you feel like it or because he's giving you this or giving you that because he is just who he is and we fall in awe before him and worship him and i think for some of us it's been too long since we just laid on our face before him and said i'm just lifting you up i don't want nothing i don't need nothing i just want your presence right now i just want to be before you I think if we go too long as followers of Christ without doing that, we stumble into this idea that God is a genie. He just does what we want. It doesn't matter what he wants. God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Well, God, you didn't give me what I wanted, so you must not be good enough. You must not really love me, so I'm just going to do it myself. And we drift from worship because we think that worship is more about what I get out of it than what I give into it. Man, we need to just be In awe before him. He is the great and powerful God beyond all comprehension. We give him worship, worth, and honor because he alone is worthy. So let me ask you a question because this is key in worship. We could say all day be in awe before him, fall before him, glorify him, but it's only going to happen if you believe he is worthy. Do you genuinely and honestly believe that God is worthy of your worship? If we do, when we come into his presence, we must come believing he is who he says he is, not who we have made him to be in our finite and simple minds. Think through scripture. Think about every single time somebody was before the throne of God. How much did they say? How much discourse did they have with God? How much discussion did they have? How many questions did they ask? One of the few times we read of somebody actually saying something before God's throne was when they cried out and said, I am a sinner. I am unclean. Notice they weren't asking God to describe the details of the Abrahamic covenant. To explain theologically all these truths, they just realized, man, in the presence of God and in the awe of God, I am a sinner and I need your grace and forgiveness. I am not worthy of being here because you are so worthy Most would just fall down, the Bible would say, as dead men. Now they didn't literally die. It means they fainted. They fell before his feet in just his presence of his throne. We're not talking about seeing God face to face, by the way. Read the texts. It's not God's face that causes them to do this. It's the presence of God's throne room. Like how powerful is our God that just his throne room pushes us to our face? That Moses couldn't see the face of God because it would kill him instantly. And instead, God said, you can see my presence. And it left a glow on his face. I mean, that's our God. And we are so silly with worship. We minimize worship to mean, what do I get out of that song? Or I didn't like the beat of that song. Man, how ridiculous is that thinking? But how glorious is it when we come before him and we just lay it at his feet and say, yeah, I have my preferences. I have my ideas of what I like, and there's nothing wrong with preference. Please understand that. If anything, I hope you understand we're trying to go above preference, not get rid of preference. Does that make sense? We're going above preference, not saying there is no preference or have no personal interest or accept everything is okay is what your preference is. It's not the point of this message. It's not to convince you that this style of worship is better than this style of worship because that's so shallow. It's about saying, I don't care if it's instruments or a cappella. It doesn't matter. What matters is, are you we, we falling in awe before a God who is worthy of it, who is only worthy. The only worthy one, by the way. See, we worship in awe, but secondly and quickly, we worship in intimacy. We worship in intimacy. Worship means complete openness before God. To lay bare before him in complete transparency is so difficult, but is truly one of the keys to worship. It's when I open up every area of my life before him, allowing him complete control, that we will experience his presence in all circumstances. Are you holding back from him? Are you compartmentalizing worship into its Sunday morning box? Are you saying God will give you that time, but don't go beyond that? Are you surrendering him? Are you opening up every area of your life, your family, your marriage, your career, your passions, your interests? Are you saying, God, I'm going to, as Paul said, I'm going to glorify you in everything I eat and everything I drink. In all things, I'm going to glorify you. Man, we have a hard time with that, don't we? But God, this is my thing, or this is my time, or how can God use this? And those are the wrong thoughts and wrong questions. The right question is, God, use this and show me how I can use it for your glory. God, open this up and make it obvious to me how I can glorify you through this. Because I'm telling you, when we lay bare all areas of our life, our worship will grow. And we will understand deeper what it means to worship him. You see, worship invites us into a practical and real relationship. The Lord has called us into an intimate relationship with him And as we abide in him, we experience that intimacy. This is what we mean when we say intimate worship. Jot it down for notes. John 15, 15. Jesus invites us into this kind of a relationship. John 15, 15. You see, often we drift into empty worship when we forget the relationship we have with Christ. This is how we fall into the trap of ritual. Let's be honest for a second. This has happened to me. It's happened to you. Have you ever been in church? Maybe it's happening right now. Again, I'm not saying, I'm just assuming it could be, okay? But do you ever experience in worship where you just kind of drift and you disconnect? And I'm not saying, you know, like if I reference a passage and you start thinking through that passage and you're dwelling on the thoughts of the message, that's not drifting in a negative sense, by the way. Man, I wish more believers would actually say, oh, wait, whoa, what did he just say? Listen, you can disconnect from what I'm saying for 30 seconds, a minute. If you're reading the verse going, I really, that's powerful. I never thought about that. Because God wants you to read that in that moment. That's why you're being prompted to do that. I'm not talking about drifting in that sense. That's completely fine and encouraged. What I'm saying is drifting in the sense of getting your mind on other things. You just drift into your concerns from the day or the week. What you got to do tomorrow, or what you got to do this week, or an appointment you have, or a doctor's visit, or maybe something that happened yesterday that's still weighing on your mind. See, I believe that's why worship is not just about what we do here, it's about how we prepare our hearts before we get here. Take time. By the way, again, I want to encourage you. The reason we have a prayer room on Sunday mornings opened up, it's not that that's the only time you can pray before service, by the way. It's not like that's the only designated godly time to pray. It's just saying we want to give you a chance to come into worship having already expressed those concerns to God, already saying, God, and you can do this at home, of course, but sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? When you're rushing around and you got a seven-year-old that doesn't want to get out of bed because it's cold outside the covers, and you're like, "Uh, we got to go. But there's nothing better than just taking even just a couple of minutes and just being still in that prayer room before God. Saying, God, would you just speak to me? I know this is going on, and I know I'm distracted by this, and I just want to surrender that to you, and you take that. And some of you might say, well, man, we don't get here early enough to go to the prayer room. It's just, you know, our schedule is so tight. You know, there's a crazy, easy solution to that. You just get here a little earlier. Well, I don't know if we can do that. We get up at, well, you just get up a little earlier. I know, this is so profound, And listen, we all have excuses. We all have reasons. But man, when we realize the intimate worship we're invited into, we need to come open heart, open mind, laying it all before him, saying, God, I'm surrendering all of this to you. I know it's tough. I know we all have struggles. But do you ever drift in worship? Do you ever get distracted during a song? You ever start thinking about other things during the message and you get so discouraged, like, oh, Lord, why do I do that? I believe the reason we drift often is because we're forgetting in that moment the relationship. Or we've not been fostering that relationship. So we get here and it's kind of like we're trying to force ourselves back into this old discipline of getting back with Jesus because we've been six days without spending any time with him. Maybe that is the solution. Maybe more time with him in our daily lives would lead to more connected time with him here. Maybe that's part of the answer. The difference in this understanding of intimate worship, the difference is not in what you are doing in worship, but the heart you bring to worship and your focus during worship. Let me say that again, and if you want to jot it down, if you want to get it later for me, you can. But I want to say that again. The difference is not in what you are doing in worship. What do I mean? Raising of hands, not raising of hands. Standing, sitting, singing along, reading a scripture verse. That's not what's important. It's not what you are doing in worship, but the heart you bring to worship and your focus during worship. Matt Redman who wrote the praise song, The Heart of Worship, said this in one of his books. It would be an honor to merely stand from afar and revere the King of Kings with our songs of praise. Listen to what he says here. It would be an honor to merely stand from afar and revere the King of Kings with our songs of praise. Yet, he has also called us to something deeper, a friendship with him. And it's to that friendship that we worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's in that context that we understand what it is to be a worshiper of His. Not just to stand at afar and sing about Him and to tell others about Him and to praise Him from a distance. Although that's fine, but that's not all it is. And it's engaging in an intimate relationship with Christ. As we begin this journey through the topic of worship, I pray that we will see what worship is and what it is not. Let's not minimize worship to merely a handful of songs we sing when we gather before service. Let's realize that worship is what happens when we, by His Spirit's indwelling and revealed, obeyed truth, come before Him in awe and openness. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you holding anything back? Will you open up and allow Him complete control because you believe He is the powerful and awe-inspiring God? And so here's what I want to do when we close. Band's going to come in a minute. We're going to have a time of invitation. But here's all I want you to do in the invitation. First and foremost, you need to do whatever the Lord's leading you to do by His Holy Spirit. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, then maybe this morning you need to come and receive Him by believing that He died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and rose again. And if you accept Him as your Savior, you can know Him for eternity and have your sins forgiven. But if you're here and you know Christ, you have His Spirit, and you've obeyed His truth, then maybe you want to come as a true worshiper, which he invites us. Think about this. He says, I'm seeking after those that are true worshipers. I want the worship. I want their time. And that, if nothing else, leaves you in awe about our God. That should leave you in awe, that God wants to spend time with you. As imperfect as we are. He invites us and says, would you just come and worship me? And so here's what I want to do. When the band comes in just a moment and we respond, I just want you to fall before him. I just want you to be in all before him. And here's what I'm gonna ask. And it's not a law, but here's what I would ask. Would you maybe take this invitation and ask nothing of him? What I mean by that is don't ask him to fix anything, don't ask him to do anything. Maybe we'll take this invitation time and just fall before him and just praise him for what he's already done. Praise him for his love and his grace and his mercy. Or maybe you're just going to come and bend a knee at this altar and not say a word to him, but just be still and silent before him and allow him to speak to you. Maybe that's what it means to be a true worshiper. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. (laughs) because of who you are. And Lord, I know my heart, and I know my mind, and even in times of worship when we're engaged in music with you, engaged in a message or a sermon, Lord, I know for me, Lord, when I sit in someone else's message and I hear another sermon, sometimes it's hard for me just to enjoy the message. Lord, I find myself critiquing this or critiquing that or Lord, I just need to enjoy your word. Enjoy the truth of your scripture. So Lord, for me, that's a that's an issue that I've had. It's just enjoying the message, enjoying a time of worship and not thinking about everything and trying to make sure everything's just right, working perfectly together. So Lord, I pray that as we go through this time that you would reveal to us what we need to, to lay before you. Lord, we just want to be in awe of you. We just want to praise you this morning. We just want to lift you up. But Lord, maybe there's somebody in this room right now that is a true worshiper. They know you in spirit and they know you in truth. But they're struggling with being open before you and laying bare before you all the areas of their life. They have this mindset that this is theirs and that's yours and they kind of built these little walls. Father, I pray that by the working of your Holy Spirit, that they would remove those things, those barriers to worship, and allow you complete freedom. Because when we understand intimacy in worship, we will understand truer what it is to worship. And so, Father, may you be glorified in all of this. It's for your your praise, and by your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as the praise band leads us in a song of invitation. Maybe you would come and bend a knee, and just take a moment and just lay before him and say, "God, I'm in all of you." Don't ask. Don't don't want him to. Don't ask him to do anything. Just say, "God, just I'm just going to thank you for who you are." Maybe you want to come and just be silent. Whatever it is, would you respond to him this morning, as the band leads us?